Galatians chapter 6, reading verses 6 to 10. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And there, as the grass withers and the flowers fade, God's holy, inerrant word endures forever. May he bless it. You know, we get to the end of the letter, and Paul kind of writes like we do when we are writing letters. As we get to the end of it, we want to look and see, oh, there's so much I have left to say, so much that I want to tell this person. And we start writing out little things at the end of it that often seem like they're disconnected from the whole. But in fact, they're not really. It's the earnest of the heart to to complete a letter. And in some ways, Paul is doing that here, not separating it from the overall theme of this letter, and that overall theme being, how is a sinner made acceptable to God? How is it that the Holy God can come and look upon us and say, I will forgive your sins and I will accept you as righteous in my sight. Not because we don't sin anymore. We still are sinners here this side of glory. But because we have been covered by the blood of the Lord. Because we have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. To deliver us from all our sins. To deliver us from the penalty of our sins. That being death. We exercise that faith in the Lord and God says, you are forgiven. I've pardoned you all your sins. I accept you as righteous, even though you continue to struggle in your sins. I accept you as righteous because I have taken the holy perfections and righteousness of my son and they now stand for you. It's like being in a court of law and being found guilty of breaking the law and somebody else steps in and says, let me pay the penalty for them so that they will not suffer the penalty for the wrongs that they have done. God says, that's what my son has done. He has not only lived that perfect holy life that you cannot live, he has also suffered in your place the condemnation and the wrath of God and that eternal death and judgment that you deserve so that there's no condemnation over you. Isn't that wondrous? You know, I emphasize that again and again because, my friends, that's the cornerstone of the church. That's the cornerstone of the kingdom of God for those who would be in the church and those who would be in God's kingdom That's both the way in and the rock on which we stand for the rest of our lives. And it's an unshakable rock. There is nothing 
that can, if once we are planted in God's grace upon that rock of salvation, Jesus Christ, there's nothing that can shake us off. We might be shaken, but the foundation under us can never be shaken. And that's why we stand forever in the Lord. It's a glorious thing. And as we come to the end of it, we might think, well, has Paul forgotten what he said about justification by faith? Because here, especially in these verses, he's all about let's do good, let's do good, let's do good things. So our good, our good things count for something. Well, in a way they do. They don't count for our salvation, but they do reveal what we are sowing in our lives. They do reveal the truth, the veracity of faith in Jesus Christ. And, and here Paul is returning to that theme about the, the spirit versus the flesh. As he was talking back in chapter 5. Only now the focus is on what you are sowing and where you are sowing. The seeds that you are planting. Are you sowing to the flesh? Are you sowing to the spirit? Think on that. We've already seen the flesh has many works. And when Paul talks about the flesh here, he is talking about your fallen nature. And and talking about you understanding that in your fallen nature, every seed of sin exists. You may sit there and say, I'm not a murderer. But you know the seed for that sin is there. You may say, I'm not an adulterer. But you know the seed for that is there. And sometimes we see it sprouting when we get angry. Or when we have those hidden lusts that nobody else sees. And that reveals to us, oh, the seed of those sins is in me. Am I sowing to them? Am I doing things that is going to make them grow and sprout and become something vile? That sinful nature within is always wanting to come out. Even though bondage to it has been broken. And sowing to the flesh, as Paul speaks here in verse 8, sowing to the flesh is, is feeding it instead of crucifying it. Instead of ensuring that the work of Christ is now putting it to death in me, to sow to the flesh is to do those things that will allow it to grow and sprout and become sin. The sinful thoughts and passions is what James would say in James 1 that brings out the reality of sin and the bad deeds of the flesh. Nurse a grudge. Anger will grow. And you have as a Christian that vital moment when, when that grudge appears in your thoughts to say, no, I will not hold this against my brother or sister. Or, wow, I can't believe what they did to me. How unchristian of them. You see the difference. <laughs> and what the end is. Whether it's a peace and a desire for reconciliation or an anger. An anger that roots and allows Satan a foothold. And the same with other things. You, you entertain impure thoughts. And you're going to be gravitating towards sexual immorality. 
None of these things we want others to see, but they get exposed in your life. You wallow in self-pity and selfishness will grow in your heart. Selfishness has many forms. Even that, that kind of selfishness that says, nobody likes me. I love how absolute we become in our self-pity. You linger with bad company, you begin to walk in their sinful conduct. You put off your devotions because you're too tired and soon you're not doing them. You cancel church for children's sports and soon they're not going to come. We sow that way. We feed the flesh. And what he says there in verse 8 is that kind of sowing reaps corruption. And by corruption he means destruction. A moral and spiritual decay will enter in and begin to create that hard heart and that destructiveness that has eternal consequences. Just ask Judas. Just ask Pharaoh. And for all the glory and goodness that they could see of God, why was it their hearts were hardened? They sowed to the flesh and they reaped corruption. And you see that people, Christians wonder, why are churches declining? Why is it that even Christians will say this sometimes? I just don't feel like God's alive in me. You know what the reason is? You're sowing to the flesh. Don't blame it on the church service. Don't blame it on the church. Don't go and say, well, I'm just not getting fed here anymore. Look in your own heart and you'll see why. You're feeding the flesh. Faith becomes stale. You reap corruption. And, and that kind of sowing, let's not shed, tread lightly on it, that kind of sowing grieves and quenches the Holy Spirit within you. And this is the reality. Christians can find themselves in that place where they have quenched the Spirit where they have grieved the Spirit in such a manner that it does feel like the presence of God is not shining upon me or shining within me. It's not because God's grace has failed. It's got everything to do with what you are feeding, what you are sowing. And that's why he says here, sow to the Spirit. He who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. So to the Spirit. Fix your mind and your passions and your focus on doing that which the Spirit is speaking to you to do from God's Word. And interestingly here, when it talks about sowing to the Spirit, again, isn't this, this whole section is Paul dwells on the Holy Spirit's ministry in our lives. Do you see what's absent here? It's not about what gifts you have of the Spirit it's not about those charismatic gifts and signs that so many really want to lay hold of. But it's that word and righteousness of God that the Spirit is at work in you to try to nurture and to grow so that you look like Christ. That you don't look like Adam anymore, but you look like Jesus. And you're called to sow to that spirit. You have a responsibility. It is not that quietistic manner of people who would say, I'm just letting go and letting God. That, that's a very dangerous road to tread. Because you're not to let go. You're to sow. You're to do that 
which exalts God. You're to give your attention. You're to cultivate the presence of the Holy Spirit through those means that He's given to you. And what's the first and chiefest means that He's given to you? His Word. Prayer. It's very interesting in 1 Thessalonians 5 when it says there, do not quench the Spirit. It comes right after where Paul says, pray always without ceasing. To not pray quenches the Spirit. You, you, you have these things. And, and what, what our catechism so rightly says in accordance with the Word of God, Shorter Catechism, Question 88, it says, these are that which are made effectual to the elect for their salvation. In other words, God's Word, God's sacraments, God's uh, prayer that we have with God, that communion, that worship that we exercise with God is made effectual to you so that you can go and speak the truth, so that you can go and do good, give to the needy, edify others, be gracious and patient, be forgiving. All those things we struggle with. (laughs) You ever wonder, do you struggle to forgive someone? So to the Spirit. (laughs) Give your attention to the Spirit. Do you struggle with being patient with that one person? Being patient with your own children. (laughs) We do, don't we? Do you struggle to be patient with the ones that you love? Uh, Paul is dealing here, especially those who are of the household of faith. We struggle in those ways. (laughs) We do. (laughs) Let's be honest. What's the remedy? Don't sow to the flesh. So to the Spirit. That's the remedy. Start looking at those things which God has given you and which the Holy Spirit empowers in your life that are effectual to you, the elect of God, for your salvation. You begin your morning with Bible reading and prayer. Do you? Ever notice? I have. Ever notice? And on those mornings, especially if it extends beyond the day when you haven't had that personal devotional time with the Lord, that, that something uh, awkward begins to rise in your relationships with those who are closest to you. Tension, that little tone of voice and, and that angry word so quickly leave our mouths. Because it's in that time that as we are reading God's word, as we're praying over it, we're to be asking, again, asking of the Spirit's help. Help me, God, remember that you are in me. Help me, God, remember that I am to be a living letter for Christ. Help me, God, to be guarded in my thoughts that when I see people that maybe I don't get along with, the first thing that doesn't pop in my mind is some angry thought about them that I'm turned against them immediately. Help me, God. Help me, Spirit, to see the people that I meet today as opportunities to do good to them, to show them Christ. Most importantly, help me, God. Lead me not into temptations. Let me recognize that temptation when it begins to spring, just as Jesus did. 
And that sowing to the Spirit, my friends, has a promise. You will reap everlasting life. Now I know we possess everlasting life in the Lord Jesus now by faith. But do you experience that everlasting life right now? Or do you simply see it as something that's just out there waiting for you? Do you remember the words of Jesus to Martha and Mary at the death of Lazarus? He said to them, and, and, and Martha's the one whose faith shone in that moment. It didn't shine in the other moment, but it shone there. And she says, yes, I believe you are the son of the living God. Jesus would affirm there, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet he shall live. But then he says the second statement, which is real for us today, that though you, you die, you don't die. Because you are now living forever. In Christ. For eternity. And we are called to experience that life even now. And this promise is you will reap eternal life, moral, spiritual growth in the fruit of the Spirit. You will see yourself being more loving, being more joyful, being more at peace, bearing long-sufferingly with one another. Wow! Wouldn't we love to see that increase? Kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control... These things are being nurtured and increasing in our lives. That's life. That's not death. You have awareness, a a greater awareness of God's presence and grace at work in you. You have an increase of holiness and peace. The things we're called to pursue. And when you sow to the Spirit, as Paul mentions here three times it. Verse 6 and uh, in verse 9 and verse 10. When you have that sowing to the Spirit and you begin to reap eternal life, then you will find yourself doing good. It becomes much more axiomatic within our lives. It's the first thing we think to do rather than remembering what we should have done after the time has passed. That's how it works. You will be tuned to the good works that God has prepared for you to do. Isn't that the verse that comes right after, excuse me here, right after Paul in Ephesians 2 talks about our salvation. By grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And if we stopped right there, we would say, well, our works count for nothing. We don't have to worry about them. No, that your works count for nothing concerning your salvation. But your salvation, your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, now opens you up to that workmanship that God is doing in you. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. We have been recreated in the Lord Jesus to be a people who do good. And that says something for those who are outside of Christ. That says something for those who are not in the Lord Jesus. That no matter how good you think your works are, they're not before God. That's reality. 
because it is in Christ Jesus that we have been created for good works. And we will do that as we are sowing to the Spirit. And the reality, my friends, is you are either sowing to the Spirit or sowing to the flesh. There's no middle ground. There's no time where you're just sitting there vegetating and saying, I am not sowing today to anything. Wrong. (laughs) You know why that's wrong? The illustration I used some weeks ago. Because the weeds are always ready to grow. (laughs) You didn't sow them, but if you ignore them, they grow. (laughs) That's the reality of our lives. Even in that vegetative state, do you know what you're sowing most often? Sloth. Laziness. It's just the reality. So these words are important. Sow to the Spirit. And, and that's why as we think on what are we sowing in our lives, Paul uh, says to us three things very, very uh, important. And the first one he says in verse 7 is, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. You know, self-deception is one of the greatest works of our fallen hearts. Self-deception always gives us a higher estimate of our own worth and goodness. Uh, I've used this illustration before, but there's enough of you here who've not heard it. But I I remember one time in my retail uh, journey, if you will, my time when I was in retail and uh, pursuing a a course of management uh, within a department store that is now resurging. I used to work for Zellers uh, for over almost eight and a half years. And, and there was this one time where I just felt so overworked and underpaid. Anybody else feel that at times? So overworked and underpaid? Yeah. Well, I decided to complain about this and go to my uh, manager and just say, you know, I think I deserve a raise. And he said to me, he said, uh, some of you have heard this, but he said, Kevin... If I could buy you for what you were worth and sell you for what you thought you were worth, I'd be a millionaire. And I left without a raise. Uh, No pay raise, no raise my ego either. Rather got deflated in that moment. We have that high estimate of ourselves. We are self-deceiving. We do that in many ways. Many are deceived by their goodness. They don't hear the words of Isaiah. That God says very clearly about our righteousness. What does God say about your righteousness? Even the good things that you do. They're still filthy rags. We don't estimate that, do we? We deceive ourselves. This was a really good thing I did. Wow. You know, we had those suspenders. We'd be snapping them often on our chest. We can deceive ourselves into thinking we have not sinned even when we've done something that is qualitatively good. We say we have no sin. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Truth begins there. I am a sinner. That's where it begins. Or we deceive ourselves and we think that our sins are not all that serious. Or if we do sin as some do in the private darkness of their rooms. This is only hurting myself. I'm not hurting anyone else. And I often think, if you ever say that, 
that, that you sin, and you sin knowingly, and you come away thinking, well, that's only upon me, it's not affecting anyone else. Really, have you ever wondered how inward anger suddenly rises in your home against people that you love? It happens, doesn't it? And it's rooted in something. Do not be deceived, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 to 11. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Sin hurts you. (laughs) But we can be deceived in thinking... It's not that bad if I'm only hurting myself. Are you telling me that eternal damnation is not hurting you? Severely. This is where even today within the realm of the church, Christians get it wrong if we think we can define ourselves by that which God calls sin. I'm just a Christian who loves. I'm just a Christian who's gay. That's wrong. That's self-deception. You're sowing to the flesh, not to the spirit. You're getting comfortable with your sin. And you want to live with it. And you deny the glory and the power of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection to deal sufficiently with every sin that you wrestle with. Because in his death and resurrection, this flesh has been crucified. Isn't that what he says in in chapter 5, verse 24? Those who are Christ have what? They have crucified the flesh with all its passions and desires. Why do you want to deceive yourself and sow to them? Why would you not want to be free of them? And to walk in that holiness that God has called you to. And that's what he goes on to say. You know, It's not that these sins in and of themselves keep us out of the kingdom of God. It's that God's wrath is upon him. His judgment is there. And we need to be delivered from that wrath and judgment. Which you were washed, he goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 6. After he lists what what will keep you from the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. He says, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You have been set free if you are in Christ and the Spirit is working that freedom in you. Don't be deceived in thinking that it's okay to nurture sin. It's never okay. Because God is not mocked. That's what he goes on there to say. Do not be deceived. No warning. God is not mocked. Literally, that word means this. It's translated, God is not mocked. But literally, it's saying, don't turn your nose up to God. You know that saying? That was way back then, a saying. Turning up the nose. That is looking at someone who warns you about the danger, and you go, hmm, who are you to tell me what I can do cannot do? God is not mocked. I've often felt with great pity 
dealing with people who think they can live their life here on earth without Christ and expect to inherit the blessings of the kingdom of God and eternal life in heaven. You can't. If Christ is not your Lord here, He is going to be your judge for all eternity. (laughs) Know that in your heart. But if He is your Lord and Savior here, here and now, He will be your friend for all eternity. There's the difference. God is not mocked. Some are fooled by these lies. Lies like, God's not going to send me to hell. He's a God of love. Or lies like, well, I'm a decent person, so I don't have to worry. Or lies like, I just don't believe in a God of judgment. Why did he crucify if he's not a God of judgment? If Jesus pleaded, if there's another way, God, for you to bring your loving, merciful salvation to these people without me having to hang on the cross and become a curse by your wrath, if there's any other way, God, let it be. God, in his will, said, there's no other way. You must stand in judgment for my people. God is not mocked. God will see that you will reap what you sow. If you sow a life without faith in Jesus Christ, you will reap eternal judgment. That's it. It's a warning. As Job 4.8 says, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. And if you sow a life without Christ, you will reap God's wrath. You ever heard the old saying, sow a thought, reap an act. Sow an act, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. Well, in many ways that applies. Both on the negative side of sowing and the positive side of sowing. Of sowing. And the positive side of sowing to the Spirit is this. It's as Christians we realize that I will not reap what my life of sin has sown because Christ has stood in judgment in my place, because He has borne my punishment away. And God, as we have already heard in the opening, God has sown the spirit of life within my soul that I may believe and confess and say, Christ, be my Savior. Come and deliver me from my sins. I believe your death has paid the penalty for me. Come and make me clean. And that faith in Christ Sowing to the Spirit will reap everlasting life. Don't be mocked. I mean, don't don't be deceived. God is not mocked. And the second thing he says in relation to sowing to the Spirit is don't lose heart. Verse 9. Let's not grow weary in well while doing good. 
For in due season, again, we will reap if we do not lose heart. Don't lose heart. My friends, sowing to the Spirit is going to have its challenges. It is not easy. We live in a world of sin. We live in a world where evil is sown all around us. How many have heard in the States what they're averaging so far this year for mass killings? Isn't it horrible? Canada has its own issues too. But it's increasing, not decreasing. Evil is sown all around us. It is not easy to sow to the Spirit. It has its challenges. But most of those challenges are found within our own heart. Not by the world that's around us. And that's because we want and expect to see results from our efforts. Learning that patience of God's grace is not easy for us. Some of us have sown in in some ways that nurturing, admonishing work and labor in our children. And they have grown up and they're walking in the world. And you sit back and you think, well, what did I do wrong? Some of us have sown in trying to do good to to people who need help. And and we see them taking advantage or we see them continuing on in their way. We go and we witness to a friend and we want them so desperately to believe in Christ. And we come away and we say, this isn't working. We lose heart. We grow weary. And we stop doing good. Because we think our sowing is not reaping anything. Go and ask a farmer what that's like. How many farmers do you know who have in the spring sown many acres of crops only due to the harshness of the summer and the lack of rain reap so little from it? Do they say, okay, I'm done. Well, we wouldn't have any farmers, would we? How long have you prayed for that lost child? How long have you in your own heart wrestled with a besetting sin? How long have you helped that friend who is so demanding? Don't grow weary. Keep sowing. <laughs> That's the thing. Keep sowing. Because in due season, in God's time, you'll reap. If you give up, doesn't mean God has given up. <laughs> but if you give up, you don't reap the joy and the wonder of seeing God at work. Sowing will have its reward. If not in this life, we know that sowing will have its reward when we are before our Lord and Savior. Matthew 25. You get to that parable of the, the sheep and the goats and the Son of Man is there judging the nations and He looks to His people and He says to us, can you imagine Christ saying this to you? Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world because I was hungry, you gave me food, etc., etc., etc. Because you sowed to the Spirit. And what's their response? Their response is, when, when did we do that? You did it in doing good. And you may not have saw much benefit from 
all of that sowing in your life here. But I'm saying to you that you did it for me. And come and inherit what I have prepared for you. Praise the Lord. Isn't that the greatest joy we are waiting for? In due season, you will reap that reward. Don't lose heart. You, my dear friends, if you were in Christ, you have a living hope, an inheritance incorruptible, an inheritance that is undefiled, listen to this, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God. It's waiting for you. Don't lose heart. Last, and just very, very briefly here, uh, but you've already heard it in verse 6, 9, and 10. Do good to everyone. Do good. Do good not because you are looking to gain something that is very temporary and earthly. Do good because you want to see God and Christ glorified. Don't sin by not doing the good you know to do. Don't sin by saying, well, they're not grateful for what I've done to them, so I'm going to stop doing it. (laughs) That's hard, isn't it? (laughs) Your focus is on those opportunities given to you by God. Because you have to understand, as we already heard from Ephesians 2.10, you're God's workmanship. God may be doing this not necessarily to benefit the person you're doing good to, God is doing this so that you, in doing good, show forth the workmanship of God and His grace in you. It may not show itself in some sort of benefit in in what is before you in relationships with others, but it will show in your lives the workmanship of God making you more like Christ who was able to go out and and it said in 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 the gospels several times he did good to everyone who came to him even those who despised him he never missed an opportunity to do good to someone he did good to 10 lepers only one came back to say thank you he lamented the other nine didn't But he did those good works to show that he was the workmanship of God, the Father. And so you do too. It's a rich perspective, isn't it? And especially to the household of faith. Why does he add that at the end there? Especially to one another. Not sacrificing, doing good to all. But especially to one another. Why? Because it comes back to John 13, 35. Again and again, love one another as I have loved you. Because when the world sees you loving one another, they will know that you are my disciples. Comes right back to that again, doesn't it? Time and time again, Christ wants to be known in this world through us. Do good. Sow to the Spirit. My friends, Sowing to the spirit means you're not sowing to the flesh. It overtakes that. And it is God's witness to the world of who we are. May he grant us all that grace we need to sow to the spirit. Let's pray.